fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello, everybody. We're back in the studio for another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm glad you're back here with us, and I want to let you know real quick that we've got uh, lots of new, great, exciting things happening and coming. First off, we've got High Mountain Seasoning. Yeah, High Mountain Seasonings has come on board as a sponsor of Radcast Outdoors. We're very fond of our friends over at High Mountain Seasonings, aren't we, David? You know, it's it's on the kitchen counter, it's in the freezer, it's out in by the smoker. It goes on pretty much most of the meat products that we consume at our house. Yep. And I just have to say this because I know a lot of their staff members and they are just some of the nicest people in the world. Hans and Kimberly, the owners are amazing people. Edgar, who's running the the actual processes in the back, making sure everything gets fulfilled. Edgar's an amazing guy. And of course, Brian, who we've had on the show is amazing and does such a good job over there of, you know, marketing the product and just an overall great guy and great hunter too. Yep. So it's good that we've got them right here nice and close and we get to utilize all that stuff. I do know that Hunter loves to uh, fill the jerky shooter gun. I don't like, you know, the the jerky shooter sticks (laughs) as much. I'll eat it, but I like that whole muscle jerky. That's the way to go. And it's so easy. Oh, yeah. And I remember using it as a kid. My dad would go elk hunting and we'd get out that big chunk of meat. And then I would take the fillet knife and, you know, cut it into strips and then throw it in the bowl, you know, the plastic bowl and put that high mountain jerky kit on there and the cure in the seasoning. And, oh man, just good stuff. High quality product. So if you get time, go check out our friends at High Mountain Seasoning and they've got a myriad of a ton of different products. So we're glad to have them on board and really, really excited to go forward from here. Yep. Another great sponsor that we have is Fremont Stoneworks. So my friend Mike, he's a disabled vet um, and he works here in Fremont County. He does a lot of great work. If you guys haven't seen his work, you really need to go out and check it out. He's at FremontStoneworks.com. He makes custom stone signs and wall hangings. He's got some really funny ones, so you definitely should go to his website and check those out. Ships all over the nation. Ships everywhere. Um, We've got some glasses, some custom-made Radcast Outdoors glasses um, that we will be doing some giveaways and we'll have for sale here starting really soon. Um, But Mike does some amazing work. And you talk about a guy who's just an amazing guy. He was a submarine captain. Just a really cool dude, and uh, he's you know he's making stuff that everybody enjoys. I mean, he he can make you anything. If you're having like a wedding coming up and you want to make some champagne glasses or wine glasses for the bride and groom, you can do that. If you want to make big heavy duty like a address sign for the end of your driveway, you can do that and put a big old elk on there or a big walleye or whatever you want. I mean, he can do it all. And that's I mean I don't want to speak for Patrick, but I do know that you know with our sponsors we. We really do believe in their products. We believe in them, and we try and pass those savings on to our listeners. And I know you put a lot of work into facilitating all that, so I want to say thank you. Well, these guys are amazing, and thank you for working with everybody, too. It's it's definitely a team effort. Dave and I work our butts off to try to you know connect you with some people that are great people. Um, the people that run these companies that sponsor us are truly amazing. And I can't say enough about just how generous they are. I mean, in the community, super friendly people, and they're the kind of people you want to support. So it makes it really easy for us, doesn't it? Oh yeah. It, it makes it fun. We got one other sponsor and that's PK Lures. I mean, we've been telling you guys about them for a while. If you haven't got on board and got one yet, I, I don't know. I mean, what else I can tell you? <laughs> I've got my master anglerfish on PK Lures, so... 
Yep. And just a quick shout out to Garrett. Um, he, he's one of our listeners and he got a hold of me and he said, Hey, you know, I bought some PK lures and he took them out and he tried them and him and his kids had a ball. I mean, they caught some really, really nice rainbow trout here locally. And a, he caught a master angler burbot as well. And so if, again, yeah, if you haven't tried them, you're definitely missing out. You should definitely go to pklure.com and try them. Again, that group of people that we work with over there, they're just amazing. So you couldn't ask for better people to work with. So what's, uh, what's going on with old Radcast Outdoors? Things are changing. You know, it's, uh, it's been a kind of a wild ride. When Dave and I set out to do this podcast, I remember David came out to my office and said, hey, what do you think about doing a podcast? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. Why, why are you talking to me? I'm like, well... We have got this opportunity and I think you'd be a good fit. Yeah. So we decided to give it a shot and that was back in what? November of 19. Yeah. Which is crazy. And now we've got, oh man, about 40 episodes done here. And you know, it's, we've covered a lot of ground and it's just kind of hard to believe, but our start really was helped a lot by County 10 and you know, they helped get us going. So we want to say thank you to them. We've, we've moved out on our own now. We've got our own studio. We've got our own equipment doing our own editing and a new producer, but it being under the umbrella of County 10 was, was really great. And I really was yep. appreciative of getting to, to work with those guys. And they, they really did help bring this to life and fruition. So thanks yep. to County 10. Yeah, they definitely helped get us started. Jared, thank you for all the teaching on the side to help me learn how to do all this stuff. But um, yeah, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a wild time for David and I, David's super busy with his bow spider stuff. I'm busy with my college job, but we're, we're making this happen and we've we're got here to stay. We got, we got some ideas for another 40 good episodes. We just got to get them in the bank recorded and get them out to you guys. Yep. And we've got David's working on a, a new shop. It's about done. He's, yeah. he's doing that for Bow Spider. It's also going to house the Radcast Outdoor Studio. So we will be recording there and, and updating and upgrading as we go. But again, we couldn't do this without our sponsors and without all of our listeners. And I, yeah. this is a huge shout out to all of you who listen to this show. This show has now been downloaded over 4,000 times, which just blows my mind. And so we're very, very grateful for each of you who've supported this show, continue to listen to this show, give us ideas. I've had a number of you reach out and just say, hey, what about doing this topic? Or how about this guest? And that just means a lot to us. Oh, it's been, it, it really has been awesome. I'm, we've just got done doing a, a little planning session as far as new episodes. And we've got, like I said, some really cool things coming and we're reaching out to some really awesome guests. And there's, there's some work on the back end to get those on air. It's, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I like to listen to them and it, you know, when you're a listener, instead of helping produce one, you seem it's like, well, let's just quick hit record and <laughs> download and upload it and, and go, right? There's a, there's a lot that goes in on the back end to get this put together. But yeah, we're going to have our own studio. We got our own equipment. We're out on our own and we're continuing to move forward. You know, I was thinking about it, David, the other day. I was going back through all the old episodes and I think back to like having Jim Zumba on, you know, and how cool that was. It was just kind of the, those starstruck moments, you know, for, for both of us really, you know, getting to Yeah, most people don't know, but that was the day we interviewed Jim Zumba was my birthday. So that was cool. It was fun. And we got to go hang out with him afterwards. So I'm looking forward to the next, the next few like that. That was, and we've got some other really cool guests that have been mm -hmm. on, had some awesome episodes and yeah, I was thinking about too, like Dan Thompson, the three big time predator episodes. Those are just so much fun to go back and listen to. And 
um, Dahlberg and Linder. And I mean, we just had a lot of really cool people on. And this is also a huge thank you to them. They don't have to come on our podcast, but man, it was so cool to have them on. Yeah, our little Wyoming, made in Wyoming podcast. (laughs) Hey, it's Wyoming original and authentic, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's... Again, there's there's a lot of stuff coming down the road. Be looking for some great things from David and I. We, we Again, we can't do this without all of our listeners. So I hope you all know how grateful we are for you. And we will be having some really cool giveaways coming up that you'll see on our social. Yes. So when you see those... Just understand that there's a lot of really cool sponsors behind these helping make these happen, you know, and and do what you can to support them and definitely share it out because it's going to be worth it. If you win some of these prizes, you're going to be very richly rewarded for that. So definitely do that. I think the glasses alone with that, with the elk and the walleye, when you see those, you know, that, that they're cool glass. So they're very cool. Then you get some rad cast gear as well. And some other cool stuff. So we'll be coming out with that here shortly. And we hope that all of you will, will get involved in that. And if you like this show, the best thing you can do to help it is to share it and subscribe to it and definitely give us a rating that, that helps us a lot as far as where we list and how, how people find us. So if you're interested in helping us out, we'd really appreciate that. You can always go to our website for recipes, for old episodes. If you want to check Check those out so you can go to ragcastoutdoors.com. And then we also have a YouTube channel now. Uh, We're starting to get our episodes on there so you can listen to them at work. If you have a firewall that blocks Spotify or some of those other places that you get the podcast, you'll be able to go to YouTube and listen to it at least. And hopefully in the future, we're looking to also have this podcast on video. We're we're talking about when when we move into the Bow Spider studio, getting it set up so we can do some some cool stuff with video and audio and it's just just more work but you know we we're talking about once we get summer schedule for bow spider lined up we, we got to get back and go do uh the canceled alaska fishing trip yes absolutely that's got to happen so when there'll be some video uh, hopefully associated with that trip also one other sponsor we definitely have to talk about is bow spider um so david is definitely helping with the sponsorship here and bow spider is an amazing thing if you're a bow hunter and you don't have a bow spider, you're really missing out. So make sure that you pick up a bow spider, um, have that in your repertoire. You'll be able to haul around your bow a lot easier. You won't have to carry it in your hand the whole time, especially if you're out here in the West, man. It's just a lifesaver when you're having to walk a bunch of miles, isn't it? And, and I wouldn't uh, drag your feet if you want to get one and you think it's worth getting because <laughs> uh, we were out of stock most of last fall. And, you know, I, I ordered quite a bit more for the spring, just thinking, oh, it'll be spring. We'll have a little bit of a cushion and it's it's all gone and we've got more orders coming but you know manufacturing across the nation right now raw materials are hard to get mm-hmm. uh, most of the vendors are usually they're a two to four week turnaround they're either six eight twelve weeks even you know with the uh, studio we're building windows are eight weeks you know trying to get contractors line up so it's a it's a great time to be be alive and be out there and be working but definitely start pre-planning and getting getting ready and talking about pre-planning you know hunter and i have been discussing and it's spring turkey season it's coming right around the corner spring turkey it's hard to believe right what happened to february i i don't even know like it just blew by and i was thinking about this the other day i was like man david's a turkey hunter that's coming right up so when does the season start so i mean it varies throughout the west but it's usually an april may kind of thing some states go into june some don't but, you know, it's usually the springtime. You need to check your state regulations to be 
right on but yeah we're coming up and i like to uh here in wyoming uh, we have a little bit of early season and you know we don't have a there's a lot of turkeys around sun dancing up in that corner of the state and you can do pretty well but down here around old riverton we don't have a ton of turkeys <laughs> they're here but they can be difficult and hunter and i have gone the last two years in a row we've gone and I, I don't know how it works out, but the weekends we've picked to go, we get snow and rain, and <laughs> we go up, we're, we're car camping for a turkey hunt. He, yeah. he really wants to hunt a turkey, and I really have a, a cool recipe for turkey, so we'll have to share that. It's uh, it's actually quite delicious, and they're fun to hunt. Well, the, the biggest thing about turkey for me, when I was a kid watching that on TV, especially growing up in the West, and here I'm watching these guys get uber excited about chasing this tom and hearing a gobble and i just like that's just a big dumb ugly chicken man you <laughs> come on what, what's so exciting here but now that i've you know had a few seasons of turkey chasing under my belt there's probably two things i would say about turkeys is number one it's in the spring which i'm not chasing elk or deer or anything else you know you could go shed hunting and i, I call that participation awards for bad hunters but i do like to you know i, I make it can some be a money maker though oh yeah i like to make some antler artwork and it's cool yeah. to go it's great to get out for a weekend but sure. i'd rather chase a turkey than a shed something that moves a little bit well, you can't eat antlers you can eat turkeys so but the other thing about turkeys now that i've hunted them it's as close to elk hunting as you'll ever get I that's mean, what i've heard so tell me the similarities of how how it's kind of the same deal i mean the calling obviously and getting close so you you know elk really have a herd mentality like cattle you got one herd bull he gets his harem and he runs them around the hills everywhere right so and then you'll have a bachelor herd of bulls that are kind of the 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 sub adults you could call them they're still they're just the younger bulls and they kind of follow that herd bull around those cows but the, the boss dog pushes them around pretty good. Turkeys are kind of the same way. You get a really dominant tom, and he kind of gathers them hens up, and they fight, and, you know, and it depends on the, the, the time of year. They go from all kind, kind of their one huge flock, and then they kind of separate into toms and females, especially if they're nesting, and it just depends on the cycle. And we need to get somebody that's a little more... <laughs> a turkey expert? A little more. Yeah, I think somebody that's got a degree in, in turkeys, but... You know, it kind of depends on the, the time frame in the spring of is it pre-breeding, post-breeding, are they nesting? What What is the, the flock dynamics? You know, are they coming out of winter? Are they focusing on feed? But I like to, uh, you know, you, you can really focus on those birds like to, to roost in the same tree every night. They like to go to bed in the same bed. They're kind of like you and me. I like my bed. I like my yeah. pillow. Right? They get their favorite branch and... Then they usually typically will fly down to the same spot in the morning, do a little strutting, and then they'll go off and feed in different directions. Sometimes they'll feed kind of similar patterns and loops, and evening they come kind of back to the similar spot and fly back up the same tree if they're undisturbed. So the cool thing with turkeys is, and kind of with elk too, if you find them in this meadow or you find them on this ridge bedding, they like to come back to those places for a myriad of reasons. Water's important for turkeys, but you know, what's cool is the similarities between elk and turkey. So, you know, you're talking about the turkeys feeding and what they do and whatnot. So what do they mainly feed on? I mean, what are they eating? I mean, I've seen them eat grasshoppers like crazy. When I was a kid at my church camp, there was always a flock of turkeys that what do your chickens eat patrick 
Yeah, pretty much anything. But <laughs> pretty much anything they can they can get a hold of. They definitely have some yeah. favorite foods for sure. And it's gonna be your local area as far as, you know, what what trees, what fruits, what vegetables mm-hmm. can they get into. But from grasshoppers to seeds to berries to they they just they're, I think they're a prehistoric leftover dinosaur. They're they're grasshopper killers, man. I mean, just like chickens. I mean, you watch them, they get out there. Those grasshoppers don't stand a chance. It's crazy to watch them feed. And, you know, I think in, in an hour or two, if all you did was, and, and you had their skills to catch grasshoppers, you could catch a, a Ziploc bag full of grasshoppers pretty quick. So they're similar to elk in a, in a lot of aspects of you want to, with any wild game, you know, and I like to think about fire. For fire, you need three things for it to exist, right? You need fuel, oxygen, and ignition. Well, I like to take that same circle of life, what we call it in the survival world, if you need fire to survive. Well, you take that same circle of life, the three things you need, and you apply that to pretty much any species, whether it's fish, fowl, beasts, whatever. They need food, water, and shelter. They got to they gotta have something to drink, they got to have somewhere to sleep, and they got to have something to eat. If you find two of those three things with any species you can pretty well hone down and figure out and where you want to do with, with any kind of thing, whether it's fishing, turkeys, elk, you really want to ambush or intercept them. You don't want to go in their bedroom. If they're all resting, laying down turkeys, for example, if they're all roosted in their tree and you go 10 feet away from there and set up, they're up there watching you. They know, and they're done. They're not going to tolerate that. Same thing with elk. If they're all bedded and they're all watching around, even on an open ridge, you try and stalk right up there with them, you're going to get spotted way before you get there. So, you know, back to that analogy, you really want to focus in on where is the chinks in their armor? Where's the weak point? Where can I intercept and catch them moving fish on their spawning beds, moving from feeding back to spawning beds, right? A lot of times best fishing is when they're migratory moving instead of when they're you know, and sure. part of that is they're just, they're covering more water, so you don't have to cover as much water to find the fish. Well, it's kind of like walleye when you're targeting them in the fall, you, you basically intercept them when they go to their food source of emerald shiners or whatever they're chasing. And, you know, you're there at the right time and you intercept them, like you said. You so know, turkeys area. are very audible, right? They want to mm-hmm. call to each other because a lot of times they can't see each other. And you'll get when, like I said, they fly down out of their roost in the morning. And they usually like to strut a little bit. They're not just beelining off to go find other turkeys they kind of have a morning routine like we do then they go out and usually they start feeding and a lot of times that daylight when they first fly down they want to flock up a little bit if you're in the right spot they'll come right to you and if you don't get them right at daylight then they kind of have their there's a little bit of a lull in the morning where you wait but then mid-morning i i can't get into all the science of it but what my experience is those toms have kind of pestered the hens a little bit. The hens have told them, go away. They've had their breakfast. Now they're like, all right, I'm going to go in search of a, a lone lost hen. I'm going to go look for looking for love, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when you can have your decoy out there and you can play on his weakness of he's out already, you know, just like fish. They're out looking for food or same thing with a bull elk. He's left that group and he's moving a different ridge and now you can just sit quietly sometimes if you're in the right place. You don't even need a decoy, and you can get them to walk past you. But if you put a decoy out, especially turkeys, you do a little bit of calling, like you're a lost turkey, you can get, you can bring birds to you. And turkey hunting can be, you know, you can shoot the biggest turkey that's ever been shot five minutes into your first turkey hunt, and you can hunt five years, and <laughs> they can be very frustrating. I like to do a lot of running gunning. So, you know, out west here, it's way different than back east. 
as far as a lot of times I'm hunting public ground. So food density is a little lower than, you know, places that have food plots or a lot of agriculture because we're just hunting open stands of timber. Now, I like to hunt edges. Same thing with deer and elk. Same thing with fish. You want to fish the edge. Yep. But, you know, as far as turkeys are concerned, intercepting them, uh, like I said, I like to do a lot of run and gunning. So I'll call and you can do several different calls and get what's called a shot gobble or a response or a locate. Same thing I do with elk. So as I'm hiking down a ridge and maybe I've spotted some birds that morning, we'll set up for a very first thing in the morning. If that doesn't pan out or they come in and, you know, especially when you got a seven, eight year old, it it doesn't always work. You have to stay still. I've been packing a pop-up blind around with the kid just because it's, they can move more, they can make a little more noise, right? But Sometimes him and I just sit him in my lap and we just lean up against a tree and he does pretty good. But, you know, sometimes the birds just come in the wrong angle or it just another hunter bumps them or I've even had coyote come in and bump them before. There's a myriad of things that can happen. But after that morning hunt, and usually we find a spot in the morning by finding those birds, a little bit of pre-scouting either sign or just locating some birds that evening if we're going to a new place, right? Go out right before dark and get him to answer you and kind of look at little bit of e-scouting google earth and go okay if they're in those trees pick one point on the compass you've got a 25 percent chance that they're going to come land in front of you somewhere right but irregardless after those morning hunts that you've strategically focused on a spot to set your decoy and call midday and even afternoons can be really productive on turkeys but what i like to do is get and do some running and gunning run the ridge and just look for turkeys that are vocally responsive sometimes you'll get 10 turkeys and you'll gobble at them and call and chuck and they won't bank a peep and you can go another quarter mile down that same creek bottom or ridge or whatever you're on and you can let out one yelp and you got three gobblers gobbling at you running towards you and it can be a little bit of a mad scramble to throw a decoy down quick find something that's adequate cover i you know if you're motionless and you're in good camo same thing with deer or with elk especially as they're coming towards you if you stay still you got you stand a good chance of them coming really close and when you finally I like to hunt elk the same way. I like to run down the ridge, bugle when I get a sponce. You know, I don't want to just set up and still hunt all day. I I can't stare at the same tree. So, you know, that's where they can be similar and and different. And just learning those idiosyncrasies of the species you're hunting, whatever it is. But like I said, with turkeys, you know, they're going to get down. They need their food. They need their water. They're pretty selective about where they roost, so that makes it easier if you go out in the evenings and you can use an owl call or with your voice just hoo, hoo, hoo. A lot of times that, and again, I don't know why they gobble it at owls hooting. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I think it's, they'll gobble at a, a car door slamming sometimes. It's just that they think they hear that first percussion sound. They'll, they'll gobble at a gunshot. They think it's another gobble long ways off, I believe, you know, and I said the the frustrating part is you're hunting an animal that has a brain the size of a walnut (laughs) and it can be, they can be the dumbest things you've ever seen, or they can be the smartest things and outsmart you. And they make an alarm call a lot like an elk. You've heard people Mm -hmm. talk about elk barking and get blown out and, you know, you can have 20 elk feeding across the hillside. One cow give that bark sound. They're gone. They all lift their heads up. They all quickly go, okay, we're check the wind and they're gone. Same thing with turkeys. They, they make a putt sound. They'll be purring a little bit, but all of a sudden they putt, putt, and they've spotted danger. And then all the turkeys heads come up and they start putting back and forth and they'll either run off, which 
I think they can run 25, 27 miles. You can't run one down, Patrick. <laughs> You're not running down a turkey. Go go out in your yard no. and try to run a chicken down. Yeah, I've tried it before. It doesn't work. So It's kind of fun to watch, but <laughs> it doesn't work very well. I think they're, you know, at one point in time, uh, the turkey was, when we were forming our nation, was recommended to be the national bird instead think, of the eagle. I think Ben Franklin had that. He was a big fan of the turkey. They're... They really, I mean, and like I said, as a as a young kid, I watched turkey hunting on TV and kind of thumbed my nose up at it and said, well, what do these guys think they're doing, chasing elk? I mean, but now that I've done it, I it's a lot of fun. It can, it gets under your skin to where you're like, man, we got to, and the using the tactics and the decoys and getting to go through your kit of, in this state, you can use a crossbow, a rifle, a shotgun, a regular bow, <laughs> I think you could use an atlatl if you wanted to. So what's your preferred method? I like the bow, yeah. but when I've got the kid, we take the take the shotgun. Yeah, that makes sense. Trying to get it pulled back. We we've a couple times taken both and taken the blind and so and when I was younger with no kids, I just take the bow. Sure. I've even got one without a blind and the way I did it is it was actually a fall turkey and I my tree stand was set in the same stand of timber they were roosting in all week and the deer hunting got slow. So the next morning I said, after four or five days of dealing with these turkeys, interrupting my evening deer hunt every night, which is, it was still cool to watch them come in, feed about 300 yards away, fly up in their roost trees. And they were flying within 20, 30, 40 yards of me. I even tried to shoot one out of a tree one day, but line of sight, same elevation as me. And I bounced an arrow off a limb. I couldn't quite Uh, get straight to them. Bummer. Yeah. So that next morning I, in the dark went and sat and they were hitting the same 60 yard circle every morning landing and then working their way up the hill there was a little bit of an opening in this timber patch and then maybe 200 yards up the hill was a big field so they land in that opening gather up mill around for a minute and i watched that every morning so i was like all right i'm gonna go sit right there in the dark walked in there in my headlight when i heard wings flapping i mean arrow was already knocked i just had my tree my back against a tree and when i heard wings flapping i drew my bow and all of a sudden there's Six turkeys landed in front of me. I had to hold it for a little bit, but yeah, you know, they were 15, 20 yards. So it's kind of cool to hear you talk about them because when I was young growing up, like I said, my experience with them was church camp. I mean, I, I never hunted turkeys in my life and we'd walk out the door in the morning and there'd be 18, 20 of them right outside the cabins because of course there's kids and so there's, there's going to be and they're food. hand feeding the turkeys. Yeah, exactly. And so we had this one that was always up on the up on the steps there right when I'd walk out the door and it was a Tom, you know, he'd just stand there and look at me like, Hey, you going to feed me or what? And I'd always have to kind of kick him off the, <laughs> off the steps to get out of the cabin door. And they were, they were just kind of like pets, you know, walking around the, walking around the place. And during the day, like I said, you'd see, I mean, there were lots of grasshoppers cause this was like August, you know, so there are tons of grasshoppers bouncing around and you'd watch them. There was this little pond and they would walk around the pond and they would herd them you know, kind of herd the grasshoppers and work together and they just pick them off one by one, kind of like my chickens do out in the pasture, but it's just really fun to watch them. They're, they're definitely, I mean, like I said, on some hand, I think it's just a dumb turkey. It's a, it's got a brain the size of a walnut and it will outsmart you. It will <laughs> evade you. So one thing I find interesting is I have a couple of the turkey, I wouldn't call them leases, but some private property next to public way back in Oregon that I used to have access to. I found it funny when you're trying to find a place to turkey hunt can be can be difficult. And there's this progression of landowners and their relationship with turkeys. And it's quite funny. At first, they want to see turkeys. So they put 
usually it's they've got some bird seed out or something and a turkey finds it mm-hmm. and then they start getting habituated to hey here's some easy cheap food with no predators around because usually houses have dogs and the coyotes aren't as prolific and so you know they'll, they're like well you'll knock on the door well we like to see the turkeys, so we don't allow turkey hunters and they feed them a little bit and all of a sudden those two or three turkeys that they like to see that stroll through once every other day turn into 20 or 30 turkeys and instead of just strolling through once every two or three days they're there every day and night and day and night because they've figured out a food source and figured out a way to get away from predators yep and eventually what will happen is they'll start getting on your car up on the roof of your house they'll start crapping on your porch and the homeowner will go we got to get these turkeys out of here. This is a problem. And then they invite every turkey hunter in the world. They're down at the bar. They're at the grocery store. Oh, you hunt turkeys? Come on out to my place. And I'm like, <laughs> I knocked on your door three years ago and said, hey, I just, you have like 10 turkeys out there. I just want to shoot one and, I'll, and and there'll be nine more left, right? Mm-hmm. And next year I'll come back and we'll shoot one or maybe two if we got a kid and then we'll We'll come back and every year and then your turkeys will get conditioned that, hey, it's not always safe here. We need to be a little bit, you know, and it will disperse the birds a little better. But anyways, you do you do get that where they go from a few birds, they hand feed, they love their birds, they get 30 birds. Then they let every turkey hunter in the woods there and then you try and go back there and they're like, yeah, you can hunt turkeys. But when you have 15 guys hunting turkeys on, on a property for, you know, two, three weeks straight. And, and they're habituated to seeing people that safe on that property. It's it's very interesting. It's reminiscent of our Yellowstone elk, the elk that migrate out of the park. You know, when they're in the park, that same bull that will stand there while five cars pull up and let you take pictures of him and dang near let you pet him. I don't know how they know where this imaginary line is, but they cross this line. They're like a completely different animal. They're, <laughs> they're shy. They're cagey. They're avoiding human. The, there's some really big bulls that are down on that national refuge that come out of Yellowstone that don't ever get harvested and they know what they're doing. Well, have you ever noticed that the day the season starts, like in the night before you're, you can see animals everywhere and you've known this as a hunter and the same thing with me. I'll go out and you see all these animals the very next morning. As soon as the season starts, there's, there's something going on. Cause these animals know, and they're like, okay, we've got to totally change behavior. We're going to totally change our patterns. Not all of them, but I'm just being facetious, but we always had a joke growing up that the game and fish the night before the, uh, the season starts sends out a notice, you know, text <laughs> messages, the bull elk and say, Hey, guess what? Season starts tomorrow. You better run. Well, we actually kind of do it ourselves. And I had the, <laughs> and you've noticed it here on your property, but I had access to a, a pretty good chunk of property here in Wyoming. And I usually would get a few doe tags, a few antelope doe tags, a few doe deer tags. And I was always trying to, I still am, but sometimes I'd take my recurve down and try and harvest that doe. And I'd notice that, you know, because I'd been going down pretty routinely in the evenings for a half hour, 45 minute hunt. It's, it's five minutes from my house and just, you know, mostly just getting out of the house, but a little, little bit of hunting and I have my recurve and there's a chance that I might harvest something on my walk or sit. But the deer, you know, had a pretty good pattern and this is usually the archery season's predate the rifle seasons right but the day or so before rifle season you know i've been down there for two weeks just hunting trapping fishing whatever and kind of living with those deer and all of a sudden you know they've had their the same summer routine they've watched the same guy driving around irrigating they'll they'll sit there and that that irrigation pickup drives by and they don't care yeah they don't care but now season starts and there's 60 pickups driving up down the road and then we kind of as hunters do it to ourselves as hey look there's all this traffic it's time to go hide yeah this last year the opening day of 
pronghorn antelope I went out and the, the day before or two days before there were all the, I had a doe antelope tag and there were all these doe antelope on this place and so I was going to go shoot one of course the day of the season starting what do I see one buck antelope and about 300 mule deer <laughs> and no no doe pronghorn antelope I'm like yeah that's about par for the course for opening day you know it's just a joke I mean I've killed things on opening day too but we always used to joke about that that you know they always notify the animals yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel the same way I mean and and it's it seems like Murphy's Law whatever tag you have in your pocket that's not the animal you You'll see. You'll see the opposite, yeah. <laughs> My wife drew that moose tag over there in Pinedale, and we went over every week in a season, and she finally shot a moose, and it was a it was a great hunt. But we had big bucks. We had big bulls in places that, if I was elk hunting, it was like, um, and this was a week or so before the elk season, I was like, you know, in next Saturday, if that elk come out and stand right there at 200 yards again in the middle of this meadow, you better be shooting him. Forget the moose. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's just kind of funny how all that works, but I'm excited for you to go turkey hunting and I'm sure Hunter will really enjoy that and getting to hang out with his dad. The best part about turkey hunting, besides the fact that it's it's akin to elk hunting, they're very vocal, they're very responsive, is typically there it's a it's a non high pressured hunt. Right. If we don't get a turkey, not the end of the world. If we get one, it's gonna be awesome, it's great, it's fun, it's super easy to pack. And, you know, while you're out scouting, you can find where they're scratching and what they're feeding on. You can find turkey tracks. You can typically at least drive around close to town and look in a couple fields and show a kid turkeys, right? Unlike deer and elk, where it can be hard sometimes just to see them. And especially you got a kid that's a little more car bound. You know, we're not, I still put him on some half mile, three quarter mile hikes and it's just him. I've got the blind and the gun and the seat and the decoy and my backpack and he's usually got him but that still can be if you're walking down a little bit of a muddy side road or field edge or something that's that's a that can be a trek for short legs so absolutely you know we definitely have been cognizant of we we, we've been doing the car camp thing so we go up the night before we have a campfire and we put the air mattresses out and sleep in the back of the car and get up super early and head out to the blind and we just the last couple of times we've had snow and wind and rain, but it's a hunt that you can literally go for two days. You take some hot dogs and a sleeping bag and you, you know, yes, we could get a hotel. Yes, we could take a big fancy tent, but I think part of the just sleeping in the back of the car with dad is a, you know, just getting to go cook marshmallows and hot dogs with dad. He's, I think that's his favorite part. That's why well, he keeps yeah. going back. <laughs> we haven't got a turkey yet. We, we trudge around in the rain and snow, but I sit him in my lap and, you know, we get to watch the sun come up and go look for turkeys and show him turkey tracks. And so it's a, it's a very low key hunt. That's like I said, we're not having to hike 12 miles and we're not under the pressure of, Hey, we need to be successful on this big bull elk. And when you finally have that elk there, you have to capitalize on that opportunity. With turkeys, you know, if you blow up a, a stock on turkeys, you wait 45 minutes or an hour, either some other turkeys are going to come back through that same spot or they're going to circle back around, or you can move 500 yards and set the decoy up somewhere and change your just the pitch of your call, and you can sometimes trick that same bird. Not always. I mean, they get wise quick, especially if they're public land hard hunted, but it's not about, I'm not trying to give you guys tips on how to be successful turkey hunting. I'm telling you that it's a great hunt to take a new kid, a new hunter on because they can make noise with the call. When the turkey's coming in the last little bit, yeah, they need to be a little still and quiet. But the rest of the time, you can be talking, you can be telling jokes, you can be hiking around. And obviously, the more stealthy you are, the quieter you slip in and out of places, the less you disturb those birds. But if the goal is to go have a 
fun weekend with your buddies, you can do that very successfully with turkeys. And I bet you guys are going to have a good time. We're we're this will be third third year, <laughs> so I think we will. We're going to put an extra day into it. We'll go uh, like up on a Thursday and do a Friday, Saturday, and come home Sunday. But, you know, and he's get he's getting older now, so he can tolerate a two-nighter with Dad. And he, he wants to go because I've made it fun. Sometimes we'll go back and, well, I let him pick his snacks out. So we load the car up with snacks, and we take the gold pans. So we'll stop and do a little gold panning, and it's more of an adventure with Dad for the weekend. I liked on the last episode. We had the kids on the last time, and listening to hunter talk about one of his favorite things of going hunting was the snacks and i was like i i I can i can identify with what he's talking about i like snacks too (laughs) (laughs) well when we go turkey camping he gets to he gets to come with me on the grocery shopping trip for snacks we gotta have turkey snacks right well you gotta have snacks man especially if you're gonna take a kid for three or four hours in the morning with no games and that's that's kind of my rule is you know yeah he's got stuff and for car travel and i let him have the the games in the car it makes for a much more peaceful (laughs) peaceful ride but when we're out turkey hunting i don't want his face shoved in a screen no you know i i think they get enough of that in in our society so dad's a little bit of a stickler that no you can but i give him my binoculars i give him the turkey call i let him help pack my shotgun around right and so now he feels that he's doing important things most of the time he's marginally helpful <laughs> well you know i was listening to a news report the other day about kids who are addicted to screens and i was talking about how it's just this huge huge problem they were talking about kids on college campuses especially that they're so addicted to their phone that they're checking it like habitually every few seconds every few minutes whatever and i was thinking about that and it was like man when i was a kid you know we didn't have that obviously and so you know how are things different and it, it got me to thinking if we take our kids now And instead of, you know, kind of getting them into this routine of checking screens all the time, you know, putting them on YouTube or putting them on games or putting them on this, putting them on that, put them on something that's like hunting or fishing related or outdoor related, have them work on a project of maybe building something or, you know, like you and I, like tying flies or maybe building like my friend Seth, building a recurve bow, just doing something where it's really easy to build crawdad traps, crawdad traps. Yeah. Everybody has a body of water with crawdads. I mean, they're almost everywhere. Sure. Carving, like just even carving a piece of wood, but just get, get kids more involved in doing stuff with their hands. So they're not, programming themselves to be uh, you know they were talking about these kids being addicted to screens and the kind of psychological damage it's causing them because they're just so tied to it and they feel like they can't live without it and i'd much rather have my kid be addicted to going fishing or hunting you know it's like that'd be so much better well it's it, it definitely is an expensive expensive addiction sure but you know it's but it's, it's rewarding though oh yeah and it's not going to make you depressed. And that's that's a nice thing about it. I mean, you know, you're going to take him turkey hunting and he's going to remember those memories for the rest of his life. And he's going to talk about the time that he cooked hot dogs over a fire and marshmallows over a fire. Well, both times that we, and we've gone, the, the one time we slept in the car and woke up to snow, the second time we took a, and it was supposed to be nice weather. We took a big, <laughs> our big summer family camp tent. It's a three season tent. We got like four inches of wet, heavy, sideways snow. It blew the, at two o'clock in the morning. I got him up. I mean, we had water coming in the bottom of the tent, <laughs> and I woke him up and threw him in the front seat of the car, and we finished sleeping in the car. But those are some of the best memories. Oh yeah, he's gonna remember, Dad. You remember that time we went turkey hunting and got snowed oh, out, and 
you know. That sounds like my Fort Peck trip when I was in high school. You know, we ended up getting two inches of water in the bottom of the tent. So guess where I slept? In the car. <laughs> and it was just fine. We we had a blast. You you have to adapt and overcome in business, Everything. in schooling, in, in construction of projects. Resiliency and, is key. And you're not going to learn that by instant gratification from Google giving you the answer anytime you want, right? Yep. But pouring a little bit of work, having a little bit of pride and energy, and you know, he's I'm kind of letting him dictate the turkey hunts. And you can see it in his eyes. Dad, I'm done for a little bit. Let's go do something else. And we've been taking his bow and the target, and so we'll go back to camp, have a nice lunch, fling some arrows. I mean, that as a kid, for me, that was the best thing, was give, put a bow in my hand, and I'll go outside and fling arrows for oh, hours yeah. straight. Yeah, growing up, we used to shoot the recurves just instinctive shooting, you know, just having a good time. You get a little foam target out there. That was some of the most fun. I mean, I could do that for hours until my fingers felt like they were going to fall off. You know, it's just a blast. And there's a, there's a documentary on Netflix called Social Dilemma. And if you haven't seen or heard about it, I would highly recommend sitting down, watching it and analyzing what they're saying. But some of the CEOs, you know, and people that help bring to fruition the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Instagrams, the Gmails, whatever it is, there's, they've said, you know, they're, they've tapped into basic core human psychology and the reward synapse in your brain. And, and, you know, they've basically programmed these apps and these features and these platforms that we use to give you that same endorphin high and mm. reward that you get from, that, that we've been programmed to have. And I'm not saying that, you know, Facebook's bad or Instagram's bad or Twitter's bad. I'm, that's not, I don't care if you use it or not. But after watching and seeing and reading that, that screen time in, in kids is, is damaging, period. Yeah, we got to be careful with that. Getting our kids in the outdoors and looking at a campfire instead of a screen is a lot better. There is something very hypnotic about. I love the campfire. I mean, it's relaxing. You know, end of the day, you've, you've had a hard day. You've got your tent and set set up dinner set up bed set up and there's there's no rush to i'll just sit here and enjoy some light and some warmth and usually telling a few stories and cooking a marshmallow between the campfire and the stars you can't go wrong that's one of the best parts of camping i like getting up right before the sun yep it's beautiful to watch the transition it you know because and that's the cool thing with turkey hunting or even elk hunting is Mm -hmm. you know we're we're moving before the critters move and then you set and you get to be peaceful and quiet and you get to be not so much a participant, but more of a witness of the woods just coming alive. You know, first there'll be no birds or no squirrels chirping, nothing. And then a few and, you know, then all of a sudden there's, the forest is alive. There's noise, there's Mm -hmm. stuff moving. So it's just the winds, you know, with the sun coming up, start switching. It's, if, if you haven't had a chance to just go sit in the turkey woods for a morning, just take a decoy and a call. You don't even have to take a gun. Just go sit. Yep. If you live here locally, one of the things I did as a kid that I really enjoyed is get up really early, go to Bass Lake, which is just a few miles from Riverton, and they have yellow-headed blackbirds that nest in the reeds around the lake. And you get there right before the sun comes up, like you're talking about. So you've still got some of the stars and you watch as the light changes and the birds start to chirp and start to talk to each other. And before you know it, it's just this really just awe-inspiring symphony. symphony. It's just beautiful and placid water, you know, bass hitting a top water. It's just, it's pretty special. So I agree, you know, getting kids out to do that is way better. 
Well, even just getting yourself out. Yeah, it doesn't no have kidding. to be turkeys. It doesn't have to be walleye. It doesn't have to be perch. It doesn't have to be elk. Just getting out and, you know, I, I really enjoy doing that trapping. That's, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's crawdads or, or leg holds or anything in between, that's the same thing. Get out there, go, go get to see where that species is interacting with the land, track them down, look for sign, look for evidence, and test a theory of, hey, are they in this spot? Mm-hmm. can i intercept them here and you know what you, if you do that enough times even a, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn right <laughs> eventually hopefully this year will be be the year that we get the the little guy on his, a turkey well i hope you guys get one and hopefully you won't get that typical spring <laughs> wet snowstorm weather. oh man i just it's it's i patrick honestly would rather go out elk hunting at about 10 degrees and bone dry oh yeah then go turkey hunting at 41 and snowing spring is just too wet for me i i'm not a big fan of spring like a lot of people like i like the flowers and the pretty stuff that comes with it but i hate the wet and the sogginess that comes with it and the muddiness too but i prefer fall just because like you said it tends to be dry i i love fall just because it's elk hunting time Mm. but Again, turkey hunting can it can extend your season. It can get you out in the woods, and you don't have to have a lot of equipment gear invested. I mean, you can go in blue jeans, right? You, camo's nice, and you don't have to have the pop-up blind. You can sit against the tree, and you don't have to have fancy chairs. I've gone and just sat under a tree. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't have to be this thing where you go spend a bunch of money. Like it's it's a pretty pretty easy thing to get into. I will say that. Uh, as you start hunting more and more pressured turkeys, um, the guides in, of, in the waterfowl world especially, but it transitions to the turkey world, they use stuffed decoys. So they use an actual live feathered glass-eyed decoy. And some of these newer decoys, I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, Dave Smith Decoys. They, they make a hand-painted decoy that is very good. But the, the, the Walmart $12 blow-up turkey decoy, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's got a sheen and the, the shape. And it'll trick a... Uh, an unpressured bird but you get a pressured bird and he'll look at that and shut up and go the other way so yeah he'll be like something isn't right here (laughs) but yeah turkey hunting can be i mean it's get out there go go take a kid and you know you don't have to invest all that money in gear you can just Mm -hmm. go it it would be like fishing you know you can go it's inexpensive it's It's, not that hard and it's rewarding to Mm -hmm. really and so finally, my I, I picked up this recipe from uh, Scott Hogan. He used to write in uh, Oregon Outdoor Magazine, and it's honey orange turkey jerky. And it's orange juice, sugar, marinate some salt. I mean, they have a recipe online, and we'll have to go dig it up. But it's just like you would make deer jerky or elk jerky. You just slice the breast real thin. You marinate, marinate it in orange juice and honey and sugar. <laughs> mm. And you brine it 24 hours, and you smoke it. And you want you don't want to do a bitter uh, wood for the smoke you don't want to use like an alder you want to use something sweeter like an apple mm-hmm. just because it's a you know if if you used a mesquite or an alder for smoking that honey orange turkey jerky i don't think it would you're going to be mixing the flavors you definitely want a sweet lighter wood maybe i i would go with a fruit tree is would be my pick but well poultry is just so good with apple i mean apple is good on just about anything but i mean oh it's my go-to wood if i'm gonna smoke something i love apple wood and so we've what the goal would be is uh, get be eating some elk jerky on the uh, turkey hunt and then be eating some turkey jerky on the elk hunt. That sounds like a plan. 
Although now that we're talking about turkeys, all I can think about is smoked turkey and my mouth's watering. So, you know, there's that too. <laughs> well, that concludes this episode of Radcast Outdoors. We're really glad that you guys came along. Again, we've got a lot of great things going on. Please go out there, check out our sponsors, help them out. Um, definitely support them as much as you can. So again, if you like this uh, episode, you like our show, please go to radcastoutdoors.com. Definitely comment on the show. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, all kinds of different places, pretty much anywhere that you get podcasts. So definitely... You you know, check us out, uh, share us with your friends and definitely review. I can't overstate how important it is to uh, review the show, to give it a rating. Uh, we would love that five-star rating if you can do that. And uh, again, we'll catch you next time for more Radcast Outdoors. All right, it is time for the High Mountain Recipe of the Week, brought to you proudly by High Mountain Seasonings, a Riverton, Wyoming company. High Mountain Seasonings has been around for 30 years and is doing a great job of making sure that all the hunters and people who are processing their own meat have everything they need to do the job right. High Mountain Seasonings offers a lot of different options for you. They offer fish brines, jerky kits, sausage-making kits, and much, much more. You can find all of their great products at highmountainjerky.com or H-I-M-T-N jerky.com. Again, H-I-M-T-N jerky.com. So now here is our recipe of the week. All right, guys. So for the jerky recipe for the turkey, you're going to want to get your turkey breast about three pounds approximately. You want one cup of soy sauce. You want a cup of Worcester sauce, a half a cup of brown sugar, two tablespoons of honey, some garlic, a clove or two chopped finely, uh, some ginger, uh, two tablespoons, and then I like to add two tablespoons of red pepper flakes to give it some spice, but you can leave those off. You're going to combine all that in a bowl, mix it up, put the thinly sliced, about a quarter of an inch turkey breast in with that for 12 to 24 hours in the fridge. You're going to pull it out, put it in the smoker. I like to run my smoker at about 180 degrees for a couple hours and just keep testing it. You don't want to, for me personally, I don't like to dry it all the way out where it's really hard. I like to leave it a little moist and eat it right away. There's not a lot of preservatives in this recipe, not a lot of salt and stuff. So you're going to want to consume it relatively quick, but smoke it in your smoker or you can even put it in the oven. I like to run it in the smoker. And like I said, a sweeter smoke wood like apple and just serve and enjoy. It's, it's best warm right off the smoker. Mm-hmm.